neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. continue our study tonight in the book of Revelation. We are in the fifth chapter. John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was just worshiping and praising the Lord. Funny thing about it is he didn't have a church like you and I have, a place where you could go to and worship on that rocky, treeless island. There was no such a thing. But he didn't let that stop him from worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. And he had the first vision in the book of Revelation. He heard a voice behind him like the sound of a trumpet. And when he turned to look at the voice, he gave a description of what he saw there in the first chapter. And the Lord told him in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, if you want to know what the key to understanding Revelation is, it is Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, and the Lord told John this, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. Those are the three categories that the book of Revelation is broken up into. Write the things which thou hast seen that pertains to the first chapter, the vision of Christ and what the Lord said to John. The things which are, that is the second part that covers chapters 2 and 3, Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation is talking about the churches, or the church age, if you will. Then he said, I want you to write the things which shall be hereafter. That is Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and right on out through the remainder of the book of Revelation. Understand this, that from Revelation chapter 4 and forward, These are things yet to be fulfilled. They are still futuristic. These things have not taken place as of yet. And uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is where we believe the rapture of the church will take place. And then after that, we'll begin the great tribulation period and so on and so forth. But also there in Revelation chapter 4, John begins having the second vision 
of the book of Revelation, you need to understand that this was not one long, continuous vision that John had. The Lord gave him one vision that stopped a day or so later, perhaps the Lord gave him another vision. So it's just a sequence of different visions that the Lord gave him there on the Isle of Patmos. But there in chapter 4, John begins the second vision. And in this vision, he saw the throne of God set in heaven. And he saw one sitting upon the throne. Uh, He saw the rainbow. He saw the four beasts. Weird-looking creatures of which he gives a description uh, best he can, comparing it to things here on earth that we are accustomed to. Uh, He saw 24 other thrones with 24 elders sitting upon those thrones, and a crystal sea, and all the things there mentioned in chapter 4. And out of all of those things, in the fifth chapter, his attention is drawn to a book in the hand of God the Father, sealed with seven seals. Now, the number seven is God's number for perfection, universality, and completion. Everything that God does is perfect. It is complete. And this book that is held in the right hand of God the Father is a book of judgment with seven seals. God's judgment is always perfect, and it'll always be right. And also, this book with seven seals is also representative of the seven-year tribulation period, which will begin not after the rapture of the church. We think a lot of times that the rapture takes place today, The Antichrist steps on the scene tomorrow. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, It could be a period of time between the rapture and the time that the Antichrist steps on the scene. How much time, we don't know. It could be a week. It could be two or three months. It could be several years before the Antichrist steps on the scene. But we do know this, that the rapture of the church takes place first. And then when the church is gone, symbolized by the 24 elders sitting around the throne of God, when the church is gone at some point in time, the Lord Jesus Christ will open up that first seal. And when he does, the Antichrist will step on the scene. And of course, we'll take a look at that a little bit later on. And John sees this book held in the right hand of God the Father. And an angel makes a proclamation who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And the Bible says that no man, no man in heaven, no man in earth, no man under the earth, no man was worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. And John wept much because of this, because the things that are... In that book are things which must be. These are things which must occur. Sin must be judged and dealt with before the Lord can come back and set up his kingdom. And John wept much because no one was worthy to open the book and loose the seals. But one of the elders came to John and said, Weep not. 
Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. And when Jesus walks up, and that's who that was referring to, incidentally, all of heaven erupts in worship and praise. And that's where we want to pick it up tonight in verse 9. Revelation 5, verse 9. The Bible says that they sung a new song. Now, the song that was sung was not new in respect to time. And it was not new as in a song that has never been sung before. The song is new in quality. Have you ever thought about it? How many times have we sung the song, Amazing Grace? And it's just as fresh to you tonight as it was when you first heard it as a child. Or right after you first got saved. The song is new and fresh. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in it. And you're talking about singing a song in the presence of God. The presence of God is what makes everything fresh. He makes everything new. And some of these old songs of the faith that we sing are just so anointed. There's so much truth contained within some of these old hymns. They never get old. They were inspired, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of the Word of God in these songs that we sing. But, like I said, these songs won't ever get old because they contain the Word of God. These songs actually usher us into the presence of God as we worship the Lord while we're singing them. It ain't like a, an old worldly song out here. You hear it two or three times, it gets old, and, well, I've heard that, but the songs of the faith, they never get old. You never get tired of listening to them because those songs were not designed for entertainment. The songs were inspired for us to praise and worship God by. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. The word worthy speaks of something of value. Let me say that again. The word worthy speaks of something of value. I don't think any of us really realize the value of the price that Jesus paid at Calvary for our salvation. I think in eternity we will continually be learning about the great gift of salvation of which the Lord has given unto us. He's worthy to take the book and to open the seals because of what he did for us at the cross. The inspiration for this song and its focal point is the finished work of Christ. Now, a lot of the modern stuff that you hear today and the artists that sing these songs will tell you that they got their inspiration from this particular rap group or they got it from this particular rock group or this particular country artist or whatever the case. Let me tell you something tonight, folks. If the music in the church is not inspired by the scriptures and does not have at its foundation the finished work of Christ, we don't need to be singing it in the church and we don't need to be playing it 
in the church. In some way, the music needs to lead back to the finished work of Christ as this song here that's being sung in heaven. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There are some praise and worship type songs that don't mention Jesus. There are praise and worship type songs that don't mention the cross. They don't mention the blood or anything of that. We've sung a couple of them here at the church. There's nothing wrong with those songs. But now here is the problem that we have. We've got a lot of churches today that have completely done away with the hymns of the faith. And everything they sing and play has nothing about Jesus, nothing about the blood. And that's where you get off track. That's where your problem comes in at. So everything that we sing... Our worship, everything, should have its foundation in the finished work of Christ. The cross should always be the focal point. We also learn something from this song, and songs that are inspired, you'll learn something from them. I can't remember who who the preacher was. Way back during, shortly after the Reformation, the preacher would teach the congregation the doctrines of the Bible, and then he would write songs that would go along with it, and it would help the people to better understand the doctrine uh, that was being taught. So a lot of these songs that we sing, we should learn something from them. And one of the things that we learn here in this song is there in verse 9, that Jesus was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred and tongue, people and nation. What Jesus did at the cross was for everybody. It's not a white man's gospel. It's not a white man's religion. It's not a black man's religion. It is everybody. It's for everybody. Whosoever will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever will believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So salvation is for everybody. Verse 10. The Bible says, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. What Jesus is, we shall be. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. What Jesus is, because he is king, and he is also our heavenly high priest. What Jesus is, one day we will be, yet futuristic. Now let me give you some scripture for that. 1 John 3 and verse 2. 1 John 3 and 2. John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. 
All right, we understand that when the rapture takes place and we put on a glorified body, a body very similar to that of which the Lord had when he was raised from the dead. And when the rapture takes place, when the Lord comes back at the battle of Armageddon, we're going to come back with him at that battle. And Jesus is going to set up his kingdom, the millennium, thousand year reign of Christ. We're going to rule and reign under Jesus as kings and priests. All right, understand that. But now here's where I'm going to throw you a little curveball. In the Greek, it means that we are kings and priests now, today. Someone has asked the question and has said, we're going to rule and reign with Christ during the millennium. Well, how much are we going to rule and reign? How much of an area are we going to rule and reign? We are kings and priests right now. We are the king over ourselves, but only because of what Jesus did at Calvary. As I tried to talk about last week, the whole human race, every single person is dominated and ruled by the sin nature. But once that individual, irrespective as to whom it may be, accepts Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, he takes the gospel. And inside the gospel is that active ingredient of the Holy Spirit that is released inside that person. And the Holy Spirit attacks, binds up that sin nature, which leaves you now free to rule yourself. Understand that. You are the king of yourself now only because of what Jesus did and your faith in that finished work and the Holy Spirit inside of you keeping that sin nature under wraps. You are free to rule and reign yourself and how you rule and reign yourself now will determine how big of an area you rule and reign during the millennium. Have you ever thought about that? We are kings... We rule over ourself through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're also priests. A priest is a servant. We want to hear Jesus say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, a servant's got to be able to hear what his master is saying. That's why Jesus said, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So you've got to develop an ear. And recognize the Lord's voice. And not so much do what you want to do. There's a lot of Christian people today that are doing good things. They've got food being set up for people. Clothing houses and giving away fans and all this kind of stuff. That's fine. They will be rewarded. If that's what God's told them to do. But if God's called you to preach, that's what you're supposed to do you got a lot of people that's going to be real surprised one day. Because they can saddle up to a piano and they can sing like a canary. And that's fine. 
but God's called them to preach, and they're not doing it. So we're going to be rewarded according to what the Lord has called us to do. So we need to have an ear to hear what he's saying and do what he says. Just doing good works don't mean that you're serving him. Doing what, he tell, what he's telling you to do is what is considered as being a good servant. All right. Let's take a look at the angels. John said there in verse 11, I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. The Greek actually says here, myriads of myriads, which means it's innumerable, countless. Imagine, imagine that. And they were all saying, verse 12, with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Now, Jesus died for sinful man, not angels. Jesus died for sinful man, not angels. But if all of these innumerable hosts of angels are saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, how much more should you and I who are the recipients of the great gift that Christ paid, how much louder should we be in our praise and worship unto the Lord? If the angels can shout it on the hills of glory, we ought to be able to shout it even more so here on this earth because we've received it, we have experienced it, but... Our services sometimes is so quiet you can hear a pin drop on the carpet. We got something to shout about. And they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power. Be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. All of creation here is worshiping the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain and as I stated out of all of creation we are the ones that Jesus died for and we should be the loudest of all of God's creation because we've experienced his salvation but yet, out of all God's creation, we're the quietest. Does anybody see anything wrong with that? 
Just thought I'd point that out to you. And the four beasts, verse 14, the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. In this we see worship going on. Now I can look at you, and by looking at you, I cannot tell whether you're worshiping God or not. Because that is something that's going on inwardly. Worship is an inward thing. You may look at me and you say, well, James is just whatever. He's fell asleep. I may be worshiping the Lord. You don't know. Okay? Praise is what you do. Praise is an outward expression of the worship that's going on inside your heart. Sometimes people contain that worship. They're sitting there and they're about to explode because of the the moving of the Spirit that is coming upon them. And they do not raise their hand. They don't clap their hand. They don't say anything. And you know how that emotion comes across? The tears will start streaming down. Thank God tonight I got something I can feel. Thank God I've got the Holy Ghost down inside of me and it's something that I can feel. Christianity is something that you can feel, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just a religion, but it's something that you can feel. And sometimes you feel just like you're going to bust if you don't just praise him say amen raise your hand clap your hands or do something it comes across outwardly in some way you can't hold it back but some of us have become experts in holding it back maybe it's the way we've been taught well brother james my church doesn't do that Or I wasn't raised that way. This has nothing to do with the way your church does or the way you were raised. I'm talking about something down on the inside of you. Jesus said, if they don't praise and worship me, the rocks will cry out. And here we see all of creation praising and worshiping God. Where is God's people at? We should be the ones at the front of the line because we're the ones that he died for. And we've got something to praise and worship God about. I can look at you, and you may have your head down like this, and to me it looks like you fell asleep, but you may be worshiping the Lord in your own way. But there are times when the Spirit of God is moving. You just can't contain it no more. And you just shout out, amen, hallelujah, yes, thank you, Jesus. You clap your hands, you raise your hands. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've been in services where people just got up and took off running. I don't have a problem with that either because I've had the times when my feet got to burning too. Thank God we've got something that's hard to keep contained. 
But there are times in a worship service to be silent. And it is inappropriate to make a loud exclamation of praise or clap your hands or something of that nature. And to give you an example, on Sunday mornings when we're giving an altar call and we're giving people an opportunity to come forward and be saved, it is inappropriate for you to start running up and down the aisles hollering and hooping that disrupts the service that that disrupts the moving of the spirit somebody sitting there ready to make a decision for Christ and now you've so there are times to be reverent and silent there are also times when it is inappropriate for you to sit there like a bump on a log and you don't show any emotion none whatsoever that is just as wrong as the one that gets up and runs up and down in the middle of an altar call so there are times, and, and I believe we need to learn when those times are. There's a time to praise God, an outward show of emotion to the Lord. And there's a time to uh, just worship the Lord and, and be silent. I don't think we've got a problem worshiping the Lord. What I think we've got a problem with is praising the Lord, letting that emotion show forth. Because the sinner man that comes in, he needs to see our worship. It's more than just singing a song out of a hymn book. The Lord's going to have to take some of us and keep us outside the gate and put us through an orientation class to what's going on inside heaven before he lets us in. <laughs> but heaven's going to be a loud place. Notice the number of times here in the book of Revelation where it says a loud voice. And what were they doing at those times? They were worshiping God. So I don't know if our Pentecostal friends are off base with their style or way of worship. I think sometimes it may get a little carried away, but I think we get a little carried away when we just sit there like a bump on a log and we never say or do anything. In a worship service. There is a happy median. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. There's a happy median. Of praising and worshiping the Lord. To where it doesn't disrupt the service. And it's honorable and reverent to the Lord. program today has been a blessing to you. We hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.